The Washington Post reporting now just three weeks after its announcement, the Disinformation Governance Board is being paused. Outrage over its chief, Nina Jankowitz, who pushed debunked Russian collusion claims and called Hunter... I will remember you. Shooby bop, bop, bop. Will you remember me? Don't let your life pass you by. Weep not for the memories. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Well, welcome back to the Ruthless Variety Program. What a lovely little number you all put together. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, oh, it's, it was I, just delightful. Just lovely. And, and Holmes, you're coming in from Zoom at home. Yeah, well, I, I, apparently I'm still contagious. I feel just fine. Uh, but I'm, you know, I test positive and they tell me I have at least five days where I've got to be home. So it blows, but here I am. Well, glad to have you back, even even over over Zoom. Uh, we missed you on on uh, Tuesday. I know. I listen. There's no place I'd rather be. Uh, but I listened. You all did a terrific job. Uh, how's your child, by the way, Michael? Uh, he is good. Henry Henry is fantastic. He's uh, but he's not sleeping so well. Doing a lot of cluster feeding. <laughs> uh, you know, so not getting a ton of sleep. But uh, you know, all things considered, can't complain. I'm glad to hear that. And Smug, as far as we know, no children for you. Yet. Not that I'm aware of and not that I'm in contact with. <laughs> okay. We'll keep a close eye on that and make sure to unplug all the phones if that ever changes. <laughs> well, listen, we got a great show. I'm happy to be a part of it. Uh, I mean, incredible when you get a couple of days away from it, how much you miss it. But uh, we got a good one today. Uh, Congressman Daryl Issa is with us and you all remember him from the days where he used to just like you know entirely crush the obama administration with oversight stuff mm-hmm. remember he was all the lowest learner irs yeah. and, and all that well it turns out he's pretty good at busting balls too uh, <laughs> and he took no mercy upon me with COVID or without it he, he came right at me and it was just great stuff he's so he's he's terrific he joins us today uh, and then, you know, we got a sponsor we'll tell you about. It's going to be the Common Sense Leadership Fund. We've got a little something later in the program on that. But, fellas, um, if we're bantering around, can we talk just a minute about this Tuesday election, uh, Tuesday election in Pennsylvania? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a hell of a night to be to be watching the coverage, but it was especially a hell of a night on Predict It. Hell yeah. I, I, I'm telling you, I've never seen any market as crazy as the one for the Pennsylvania Republican primary last the, year. The, the Senate race. Yeah, the, the Senate, Senate race yeah. in, in I've particular. Never, I've never seen anything. I'm really glad, I'm really glad we were talking about this up top because, I mean, man, was it fun. Um, you know, if you didn't follow uh, on, on Tuesday night, um, you know, the because they were counting, you know, the absentees, the mail-ins, 
and then election day results, there was just a lot of movement, right? <laughs> between was, yeah. between the three candidates, McCormick and, and Oz and um, and Kathy. Um, and so the market kept moving so quickly on predicted. It was like you could get paid five ways. <laughs> and it, ca- it you it, could ride it up and down five <laughs> different times in an hour. Yeah, it kept moving all the way through the night and even after midnight. I mean, it switched so, from McCormick so, down to Oz, back to McCormick, back to Oz. I didn't want to out you, Ashbrook, but now I'm going to. Ashbrook was riding it all night. I, I mean, I, I, he so, was he was straight diamond hands. Ashbrook was diamond hands all night. I mean, that's that's intense. I've never Wait, watched a pump and dump or what? No, he's he well, stuck with no, it. He's not, got fortitude. Not, not pump and dump. I was surfing. I was surfing these waves. And honestly, I had McCormick at a very low price at the beginning of the night just to see what would happen. And I rode McCormick all the way to the top, sold him. <laughs> and then I rode Oz all the way to the top, sold him. And then I tried to do it again. I lost everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And I mean, I, I, I don't bet a ton of money on this. I'm more curious than anything. And it's, it's just a very, very fun way to watch the election returns. Yeah, that's the fun of it. I mean, it, it's the, the one thing is um, election night as it is, you know, there are these periods of time where there's no information. And if you're just watching it on TV... It's they're just trying to fill the the airspace. They're just trying to right. fill. Okay, with idiots, by yeah, the way, with, with absolute idiots. idiots. Yeah. So yeah. you can either choose to be bored, or <laughs> you can jump in the casino, and it's just like nonstop <laughs> fun. <laughs> I mean, it, it it sort of says that we have to start doing. I don't know if we're gonna end up doing it in the next few weeks, but we have to start doing an election night stuff ourselves yes. because, like, you watch. I mean. Fox sticks with its shows. It's got a formula. It doesn't move off of it. Like, you know, it is what it is, but it's not the most terrific place to watch election night coverage. Cause kind of like, you know, they dedicate very little time to it. So you got to choose between CNN and MSNBC. What a disgusting choice to begin with. Yeah. But then, then you see the panels and you're like, Jesus, what in the world are we? I mean, yeah. Right back to Fox. I go. <laughs> yeah. I'd ra- I, I would, I would rather us get on like a zoom or do a live stream from here We'll bring in some experts to help help us make our bets and predict it. We need like a Kornacki. We need like a Steve Kornacki. You know, we could. Okay, so we will do this. We got to do we'll, it. We'll do this. So so we got to set up a, a live stream for election nights because, I mean, as Holmes pointed out, this is a space that needs to be filled. I mean, it's horrible. Watching the cable news coverage. Unwatchable. I know. I mean, we can easily do this. We should do it. And if you're interested in joining us, first sign up at predictit.org backslash promo backslash ruthless20. You get twenty free bucks. Yeah, Listen you get twenty you, free you bucks. Got it first try. Yeah, I, you're you you are the one who usually does do, does that, and so I had to fill in in your in your steed. I like that. I like that. Well, you're a worthy uh, fill in. Um, all right, let's get to the let's get to the well. Let's summarize, PA. Uh, as of the time that you're listening to this, you probably still don't know who won that race in Pennsylvania. Uh, we're still riding markets ourselves, but we're keeping a close eye on it. Look, the bottom line is, from my perspective, either McCormick or Roz, absolutely terrific general election prospect candidates, and this Fetterman cat, yikes. Well, well I mean, I think the st- whole story of primary night is you look coast to coast at all the contests that were happening last night, Republican voters outnumbered Dems. And by totally like, a, a far significant margin, the growth, like uh, I saw a lot of comparisons in 2020 primary voting 
uh, by party in and by state. So you'd have like a you know in, in a 2020 or 2018 primary in Pennsylvania, this number of Democrats voted, this number of Republicans voted. Our growth from then to now was like double what Democrats put out last night or, or on Tuesday night. So that shows you enthusiasm is on our side, right? Going into election day. Well, you know what? That's not what I read in the New York Times. Oh, what is reading the New York Times? The New you York, read the New York Times? The, head, the headline from the New York Times this morning was "Election Deniers Thrive," <laughs> oh my even, God. even as Trumpism drifts. Oh, wow. They they honestly do not do not know how to talk about Republicans if they aren't referencing the 2020 election. That was also it was also news to Maddie Cawthorn, right? Yeah, I, I, I feel like he got the memo on the thriving of the election. You know, honestly, tonight. he's gonna have a he's got a lot of lot of free FaceTime with his cousin. Honestly, now that he's out of a job, <laughs> I just feel bad about that guy because, like, you know, all these like attacks on him about like, oh, he supports Trump or insurrection or whatever. That didn't do it, but like once he revealed the cocaine parties that a lot of the elites are having in D.C., oh, they went right after him. <laughs> I mean, I. Th- At least I don't know he didn't where to tell start anybody with that. that you host the cocaine party. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> he didn't outspoke. So, so in all seriousness on that race, I have some good analysis where, so apparently he was fundraising late, spent his campaign money at the wrong time, kind of just like took the W for granted. Yeah, dude, like his he, his burn rate, he was he was spending more than he was raising coming into that primary. I mean, I, that's how you lose. That's how you lose a primary. And I think the lesson to take from that, and it's an important one, is don't take the red wave for granted. Don't think, yeah. you know, this is an easy year. It's it's the exact opposite. It's the year we all, you know, you put your head down, you work harder than you ever have. Right. Because you want to just, like, trample them yes. in November. And the only way that happens is, is everyone, you know, gets after it you can't just coast and be like well it's 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 a good year for republicans so i don't need to and worry smug, about it smug that's a really good point it's particularly the case when there's 1080 video of you dry humping your cousin buck <laughs> naked in his bed. that is that's where it becomes a real I, issue you know i i i went for the for the tongue-in-cheek reference and holmes <laughs> holmes just drives it up the middle he goes right after it <laughs> what you can't ignore it. I mean, obviously that played a factor. <laughs> Just saying. All, uh, right, all right, all right. We'll move on. Uh, listen, <clears throat> we did have a victory. Yeah, we got we got another pelt on the wall to celebrate. Another pelt on the wall. I think we did good work here, fellas. I really do. Uh, I loved our our analysis of this of this lady. I forget what was it. It was Blippy on. Uh, a, bl- a bl- blippy who's been forced to watch a thousand hours of Rachel Maddow. That's exactly right. And <laughs> yeah. who we're talking about is is the the lady that we opened the show with, Nina Jankowitz, and her uh, Ministry of Truth, which has come to a early demise. Oh, and uh, the the story, the exclusive story about how how it was killed, uh, was was written by. Uh, not so much a friend of the program, Taylor Lorenz. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought? <laughs> of course. So, so before we go into the details of the story, I think a very important point that was made about this situation is, so Biden never spoke about the Ministry of Truth. Yeah. He never mentioned it. And the demise of it, we only found out about it from the Washington Post, which tells you this is just like the, the journalist working glove in hand with this administration, this is a hundred percent. It's like they're a tool of the this administration. It's it's all wired. They're up. an organ of the Democrat Party at this point. It's unbelievable. 
It certainly seems like it to me. Taylor Lorenz carrying the water. Uh, here's how she framed it. This is amazing. This is amazing. <laughs> now, for you listeners, you know exactly what this outfit was and what it intended to do. Here's how she framed it. How the Biden administration let right-wing attacks derail its disinformation efforts. <laughs> this is a straight news article. <laughs> what the fuck is that? It's just made up. It's what it is, what it is. I mean, right wing. Like, who the fuck is her editor? Like, who is her editor? I I don't think she has one. That's the thing is, like, I I think someone, I think maybe Josh Barrow pointed out, like, who is her editor? Like, to to let her run amok like this? Well, because they're terrified of her. Remember the New York Times slack? That's the thing is because she basically, like, turned the New York Times, when she was at the, Taylor Lorenz was at the New York Times, basically turned the company's slack into, like, a mob yeah. to go after older reporters who right. didn't tow, you know, the woke line yeah. that was being put out there. So, like, Wapo brings her in, and they're like, we don't we don't want any trouble. Yeah, hands off. I Our- think your editor is a gentleman by the name of Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> <laughs> I can't figure out. There's nobody I know who runs faster and hotter into the hole than she. I mean, she is so oblivious to like the extreme outrage of everything that she writes. And I, is, or maybe she's not. I don't know. No, maybe and, she's not. and here's the thing is, I think she almost wears it like, a, you know, a, 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 as a point of pride because she knows she has her editors, the mainstream media, so in her thrall at this point that she can she can say whatever she wants. Right, she just plays to the controversy now. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, the, the, thing, the thing she would love the most is to be able to make herself the victim of another that's attack. That's what she lives for. Right. Lives for. Well, it's, that's how she, that's her entire identity, <laughs> right? I mean, there's no question at some point she's going to write a hit piece on the Ruthless Variety program or like one of us, and then we'll respond to it. And, and that'll we'll, be the mistake. Right. <laughs> the, the minions will, will finally. Because like, there are so many receipts that have not been put out there. I, I, That's I got, the other thing. It's just like that gall of her when there are some serious receipts out there. I, I, oh, yeah. I got to get into to, to this the intro of this article because it's hilarious. Um she says, uh, a pause of the Department of Homeland Security's newly created board comes after its head, Nina Jankowitz, was the victim of a coordinated online attacks as oh, the administration geez. struggled to respond. It's like, fuck, oh, you want to be a government mouthpiece and you're, you, people aren't allowed to criticize you? Anyway, here, it keeps going here. Within hours of news of her appointment, <laughs> this is the best part, Jankowitz was thrust into the spotlight <laughs> by the very forces she dedicated her career to combating. That's one of the best lines of all time. Incredible. And you can set aside just for a moment the fact that this woman theatrically sang on stage at every opportunity that was presented to her. Yes. The idea that she's some sort of reluctant uh, spotlight. And I think right there, that's the whole problem. That's the whole problem, and how it's been framed by the media who who got the talkers. I mean, this is this has Jankowitz's fingerprints all over it. She straight up gave this whole story and her side of it for Taylor to go out and push the talkers. But when she says th- this line that within hours of her appointment, Jankowitz was thrust in spotlight by the very forces she dedicated her career to combating, that tells you the actual purpose of the Ministry of the Truth in the first place. Yes. Was to yes. go after anyone who criticizes this right. administration. That was the purpose. They gave it away. 
They gave it away. You're entirely right. And Blippy gave it to Taylor Lorenz. Well, and, and I don't see anything in here about how Nina Jankowitz, head of the disinformation board, was spreading disinformation herself, that she was wrong about Russiagate, that she was wrong about Hunter no Biden's mention. laptop. This, Wait, this actually, journalist. I thought, that these, I thought these pieces had to have balance. <laughs> well, well it, and in fact, it does have some sort of balance, at least in Taylor's mind. She goes on to write, Experts say that right-wing disinformation and smear campaigns regularly follow the same playbook and that it's crucial that the public and leaders of institutions, especially the government and media and educational bodies, understand more fully how these cycles operate. Well, there we have it. The, the experts have weighed in. And, and <laughs> along, those, along those lines, I really want to point out, in the article numerous times, uh, Taylor references that, like, oh, Jankowitz, the, you know, this organization says Jankowitz is an expert. And during her time at X organization, Jankowitz did amazing work. I looked up every single one of those organizations. They're all left-wing dark money groups. It's hilarious. And in the <laughs> article, in the article, Taylor says this was an unbiased organization that says she is. It's a, it's a nonpartisan nonprofit. Yeah. That just doing all, a, that's just, just doing like a hundred percent one of these like left wing groups. Yeah. Basically, you know what I mean? It's insane. Uh, we need to get like a journalism arm at Ruthless where we can just lobby in a question to the um, somebody over at the Washington Post and be like, "Is this is this not an opinion?" I mean, piece? honestly, that's the thing is the right needs to start creating organizations like the like the you know the whole argument that uh, Dems and journalists try to push about how. Antifa can't be bad. Their name is anti-fascism, so they must be the good guys, right? Right. Like, we need to set up just like, you know, the institution for, or the Institute for Truth and Responsible Journalism, which is how we hold these people to account and be like, hey, listen, the job of this institute like, is truth and responsible right. journalism. Read the name. Yeah. There. <laughs> it's right for there, itself. <laughs> we are objective. And so, like, the left has all these, like, organizations set up so that but they that's can be not like, enough. Oh, this person's an expert. But Smug, of course, having all of those groups is not enough. What they want is to have the long arm of the government Bingo. be their that's hitman the against conservatives. And this brings me to our sponsor today, Common Sense Leadership Fund. Uh, these folks um, are mobilizing conservatives. Um, and highlighting an issue that's very, very important in two pieces of legislation that are before the United States Senate right now. Number one, the American Innovation and Choice Online Act. Number two, the Open Apps Market Act. Uh, these two pieces of legislation are to regulate big tech, you know, the platforms like Facebook and Twitter and whatnot. The issue is that both pieces of legislation here have what's called like a safety exemption which would allow the government and you know the liberals who like to pressure our government uh, to censor conservative viewpoints and speech online in the name of safety. Uh, Don't we love that, folks? Uh, that's that's, the, so that's the whole game. That's the whole game. It's the whole, but, and that's the thing where I get so pissed off about conservatives getting suckered into is that like when you follow them down this like antitrust rat hole. They actually have – what they're counting on is people being angry enough at big tech over censorship issues that they, like, glide over that language, mm -hmm. right? That they – like, oh, it's just about punishing big tech. And then and then you get to, like, the bottom line of these bills. It does nothing about anything conservatives care about, but it does everything to do with just, like, destroying business. Well, so <laughs> – right, and all of these platforms have, quote-unquote, safety divisions, Right. And really what they their job is to is to deplatform and censor or ban speakers on their apps if they disapprove of that speech. You know, 
Twitter has their trust and safety council. YouTube has their trust and safety um, um, team. And, and, and the issue is like, I mean, we experienced this on McConnell homes where uh, there was a protest outside of McConnell's house during the 2020 election from all these left wing lunatics who were saying, you know, we want to stab him in the heart um, and break his legs and all of this stuff. And we yeah. had it on video and we put it out on Twitter. And what did Twitter do? They locked our account. Right. That's right. I forgot. I forgot about that. Yeah, we were the ones that went dark. They were protesting us, and they and then and they were like, "Oh, how dare you put that video out there?" And why did they do that? Well, because of safety, because of because we are spreading what could be hate speech. Well, in these pieces of legislation here, and this is the one thing the Common Sense Leadership Fund points out, is that uh, Andy No, you know the the journalist who's been chronicling Antifa, was forced yeah. forced by Twitter's Trust and Safety Council to delete a tweet that reposted a violent death threat that Noah sent with the absurd reasoning that the death threat against him was a violation of the sender's privacy. So basically the same thing that happened to Mitch McConnell. I mean, and that's the thing is, is, is like you said, they just want to be able to use the government as their enforcement arm to be free of criticism. And throwing in that loophole, I mean, that's the whole purpose of it. Yeah, I mean, we talked to Sachs about that a little bit. Right. Yeah. Where it's like the the on one hand, the Biden administration is is working to try to say like, hey, Facebook, hey, Twitter, this is disinformation. And, and if they like react in any way, it's like, well, we got this real nice antitrust legislation that we're looking at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. It's like you either you're going to do what we want through through one of these mechanisms. Just don't don't make us do this other thing. We're threatening you that but we're going to do these bills. These bills do. Right. right. Is it like essentially codifies that point of view. It's It's like. They ultimately allow that you to shoot the hostage, right? Um, and you're the hostage, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> right? So if you have a Republican member in the United States Senate, make sure that they know in this legislation is a loophole for these left wing lunatics and the government to basically allow big tech to censor conservative speech in the name of quote unquote safety. This is how they're trying to do it. It's like a Trojan right. horse. It is. It's a trap. We've That's actually what talked about this for in like yes. a lot of different ways. For uh, I'm glad these guys are doing this, but like this is something we've been on to for quite some time. One other thing I would say for more information on this, the Wall Street Journal had a great uh, piece on this called Republicans Step into Amy Klobuchar's Antitrust Trap. Mm. Yeah. Highly, highly, highly recommend you read that because it goes into more details on exactly what we've talked about here on this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it feels good to try to punish people right up until the point where you're looking at what you're doing and realizing the unintended consequence is actually far worse than the initial problem that we're dealing with. That's the thing. Yeah. All right. Um, <clears throat> should we talk about a poll? Yes. Always. Actually, it's a little bit of a study. This is more of a study than a poll, uh, which is interesting. This is from McKinsey, uh, McKinsey's American Opportunity Survey. A pessimism is one of the key findings of the third edition of McKinsey's survey, which explores the depth of Americans' perception of the current and future state of the U.S. economy. Interesting. Summed right? up with one word, pessimism? Yeah, exactly. I mean, pessimism. <laughs> that's the story. I mean, that's good. That, could be, that could be Biden's middle name at this point. Uh, the survey found that the cornerstone of the American dream, access to opportunity, is perceived by many to be increasingly out of reach. 
across almost every demographic group and metric, Americans are more pessimistic than they were in the two surveys conducted in 2021. Uh, Thanks, Biden. (laughs) Right? I mean, of course. Look, it's logical for all the reasons we talk about every week, because literally nothing that they've touched hasn't turned to absolute shit. But it is something when you see... You know, an, an organization like this, it's like they're supposed to, to find consumer trends like they're they're trying to figure out right. what's the one thing that I can draw out from this entire mass of humanity. And they're like, oh, it's pessimism. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's it's one thing when you read that in a very narrow political poll that just basically is a temperature check of the electorate. It's another thing to read it in a huge study by someone like McKinsey, who's like doing a deep dive into what all these people think, you know? And it's like, this is a deep problem in the American psyche right now. I think it makes sense that people are pessimistic, to be honest with you, because what they're concerned about is prices. And all they hear about when they turn on the news and when they listen to Biden talk is cultural issues, election denial, some sort of disinformation board. They're talking about everything but inflation. Right. All they, they 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 go in. The new thing is replacement theory. Do you know what, <laughs> do you know what replacement theory actually is? It's a different talking point than inflation. The Democrats have chosen to replace the inflation talking right, point. Right, because they every every day the liberal media wants to jingle car keys in front of your face because they know that Joe Biden can't fix the one thing you actually care about, which is why is your gas six dollars? And they're not talking about it. They're not doing anything about it. And people are like, "Well, it sucks out here because everything costs so much." And Washington people, the Washington's not talking about it. So what are we going to do? Right. I mean, that's it right there is is they're constantly trying to find something to distract Americans from for why everything is so terrible. It's I mean, I, I often bring this up is like go and think back a few years ago to what it was like. It already seems like it was forever ago. If you try and think of what 2019 was like, for example, right, it, it, it feels like it was forever ago. But everything was so amazing. Right. The, I mean, you could baby formula. I mean, we've really gotten to that point. It's like Venezuela, like. We've got hyperinflation, and you can't get baby formula. <laughs> it, it, it took only a year of this guy in office to make that happen. Oh, man. So was it's any, incredible. Was, was anything even close to inflation on this study, Holmes? I mean, I don't know. It, it looks like there's – it's so far and above everything else. I mean, you – Yeah, it's like, it's like three standard deviations beyond anything that people care it's about. It's so far beyond – and, you know, like you've got the polarization, and you've got – I see immigration. Know, They're worried about that, too. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, it's immigration. But can't bring that up. This is the one that that stuck out to me because it's not in every single possible one that we've had for twenty years. Is crime and violence? Mm, oh, yeah. yeah, right, yeah, right. I mean, that's look, another the, the, one. The I mean, like so many people left the cities because of this. Like COVID really was like eye opening in the sense of, I mean, I why am I why am I spending so much to live in a place that not only is crime rampant. But it, it, it's it's completely allowed. It's, it's like uh, I, I saw polling this morning about how it looks like the Chesa recall in San Francisco, the DA, Chesa Budin, might yeah. actually get recalled. No way. People are that wow, sick really? of it. The wow. guy essentially legalized crime when he's supposed to be a district attorney. And, and people are fed up with that. Well, Democrats yeah. are promising more crime and violence this summer. There was a story this morning about how they're going to attack the Supreme Court and all the justices and everybody who works there because of a ruling. I mean, that was outrageous. Like the Department of Homeland Security puts out this memo saying that uh, we want to make folks aware that uh, we've received these like credible threats of 
people promising attacks against the Supreme Court and people who have been like tweeting and, and on social media putting out uh, these threats against Supreme Court justices. And so they put this memo out. And did you did you see this memo? No. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I saw it. The first yeah. bulletin on there is so there are some pro life people who are uh, could be considered white nationalists and they are dangerous. <laughs> Come it's on. Like, are you serious, dude? <laughs> Oh man! Like that's the concern. I mean, do you know, like the gymnastics that it takes to get to that? When like the left leaks this memo, and then the left wing dark groups like uh, uh, Brian Fallon's demand justice instantly fills the void, being like, "We need boots on the ground. Get out there, surround the Supreme Court." And you see leftists putting going. Leftists were visiting the houses of Supreme Court justices to intimidate them. Right. And the Department <laughs> of Homeland Security is like, "Okay, here's the thing, folks. White nationalism." <laughs> I want to get your take on an animal story. Okay. Um, there's a woman who is unapologetic uh, after feeding monkeys flaming hot Cheetos. I love this story so much. It, now, this is according to KVIA uh, in El Paso. A woman was fired after feeding monkeys at the zoo Cheetos. Uh, and then she says she does nothing wrong. So I, mean, I want to read the whole story. This is so, so good. So, so these are a couple of polls from it. It says, a woman was filmed clambering over a couple of fences to get into the spider monkey exhibit at the El Paso Zoo. She allegedly fed the monkeys flaming hot Cheetos. The video of her zoo escapade went viral and led to an outcry of animal abuse claims, trespassing, the woman being fired, and more. It says, days after the incident... Uh, the woman, Elizabeth Lowe's Ray, was arrested and charged with criminal trespassing. She was also fired from her job at a law firm. Now, what? Yeah. What? Yeah, she was fired, fired from her job. From her job. <laughs> well, you know how it is. As soon as like people online get mad, they're like, "I'm going to call their job and try to get them fired." That's how it works now. And it says, uh, "You know, fired from her job at a law firm." Now a year later, Ray is speaking out in an interview with KVIA News. She claims she believes she quote did didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> Ray Hell also yeah. claims, and it's so good. She, I love the she defiance. fed the animal. Yeah. Cheetos are delicious. Delicious. Yeah, are you, know you kidding me? Love it. Are you kidding me? The monkeys want the Cheetos. It's been eaten. I mean, what do they feed it at the zoo? Nothing delicious. Yeah, I think her. I think her only crime is she didn't bring a beverage to wash it all down. Yeah, I mean, yeah. here's the thing: is like you're having bananas every day, and then someone rolls up with Cheetos. That's a fantastic. Yeah. Day. It's drinking water out of a dirty community bucket. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, and the flaming, the flaming are delightful. Let them have the real one. And oh. so maybe, the, maybe, maybe the concern is. I mean, you know how monkeys like to throw poop at each other. Right? Well, I mean, you that... get a flame. You get a flame. <laughs> uh, like, you think we're gonna have some spicy poops? Maybe the concern is that you're gonna hurt other monkeys. By <laughs> I don't know. So, so this article is so it's amazing. So it says Ray also claims in the interview that the monkeys were quote excited to see her when she jumped into the exhibit with them. Ray tells KVIA News, no signs at the exhibit expressly told her not to jump into the cage. <laughs> so she doesn't think she's in the wrong there. So she's a good lawyer. Bring her back to the law firm. Right. Lawyer. She's a good Bring lawyer. Why would you fire her? <laughs> and this is like, like you said. Me, Zoo, you never told me I could not do that. Exactly. exactly. And it says, uh, when she was asked by KVIA News what she learned from the incident and the extreme backlash afterwards, Ray said she, quote, Learn just to keep the Cheetos to myself. I can't share. <laughs> Ray also reportedly said she has no plans to apologize to the zoo for her actions. Hell yeah. Fuck uh, the zoo. Yeah. Uh, never apologize. Don't never, back down. Never apologize. Never apologize. Unbelievable. I don't even know what to make of it. The poor lady. I mean, it sounds like she's a pretty good lawyer. If anybody need, does anybody know what kind of law she practices? Maybe it's... Uh, Animal law, apparently. 
I mean, it so, seems so like... I got one other animal story I want to throw in here because I got a good one-liner. Okay. So, more animal news. This is... <laughs> I can't wait to I, I call this. this critical reptile theory in an elementary school. So, we had an alligator captured at the entrance of a Florida elementary school. And you, I, I encourage people to Google it. Now, this happens more times than you, than you think. And this image is incredible. Like, they yeah. have a photo from it of, like, a cop grabbing an alligator by the tail while it's, like, rolling around outside the door of the school trying to yeah, get this, in. And this cop, this cop is, like, he means business. I mean, just grab the thing by the tail. I, I guess I, in I Florida. Tail. I guess in Florida, maybe you get experience with that sort of thing. Because he is, I agree, it's, like, very nonchalant. This yeah. guy's clearly the, done this before. Yeah. I mean, like, he, it's, like, courage under fire here. The guy's totally, like, a normal day just grabbing the alligator by the tail. Uh, but it says here, a Florida elementary school had a surprise visitor on Monday. A six-foot, al- it wasn't like a little baby one, a six-foot alligator was found outside the door of Michigan Avenue Elementary School in St. Cloud, Florida, early Monday morning, according to Fox 35 Orlando. The moment police captured the gator was caught on a surveillance camera, and that's where we get this amazing footage of this cop just like, I mean, folks, you really got to Google it. It's amazing. This footage of a cop just like pulling a gator by the tail while it's like rolling around. Uh, it says assistant he principal. He genuinely doesn't give a shit. He I doesn't mean, give a shit. Like the guy is totally is cool with it. He's not freaking out at all. Yeah, he's he's fine. It says uh, assistant principal Aaron Williams told the station that she was redirecting students and parents who were arriving at the school so they could watch the Gators capture from a safe distance, which is also awesome because the school is not like okay, everyone like evacuate to a safe place. They're like. Here's where we can watch this shit go down. Who's your money on? <laughs> Gator or a cop? Who's coming out on top of this one? And it says, our students thought this was the greatest thing ever, William said. I mean, because it, it clearly is. Gator or a cop is the funniest. That's the, that is such a good framework for what went down. And, and, and the line I had is, well, honestly, these days... I mean, you should have let the gator in. Chances are it's not the worst predator inside that school building. (laughs) (laughs) Brutal. I can't believe you you read the whole story for that. I waited for that. (laughs) Just for that. Just to deliver that one. I love it. Oh, man. Uh, So there's a bit of a vibe shift. I don't know if you guys have detected this, but there's definitely, we've talked about it in the last three weeks about how corporate America is sort of realigning this just rampant wokeism that we've seen across the country and everything that they do. Yeah, no more free All hits. All of a sudden, things are a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, like DeSantis led the charge on it. There's just no more free hits. And and, and the vibe shift is palpable. It's real. It's out there. You're seeing companies, like w- with the Roe v. Wade thing, when, when, when that uh, uh, Supreme Court opinion got leaked, you didn't see a bunch of corporations jumping out there announcing, hey, we're going to give X amount of money to this group and and we're going to give this amount of money to this group like you did with like BLM and like you did with the whole Georgia when they tried moving the MVP game. But now uh, uh, you have a situation where Netflix is cracking down on wokeness. It says last week, Netflix issued a long memo detailing the company culture it hopes to foster. The streaming service lays out that it produces a variety of content and won't allow its employees to cut programming. Like they Hell are yeah. done with it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, I mean, the thing is, I have a little bit of a soft spot for the management of the of Netflix. I know that they've. Uh, I believe me. I know all of the woke stuff that they've put together, and, and it's like outrageous. But the left went after Dave Chappelle about as hard as they could go after anyone. Right. I mean, they were straight mm-hmm. trying to tear this man yeah. down. They were trying to destroy him. They were trying to like ruin his career. 
if Netflix would have canceled his contract, it would have validated all of that. Yeah. Like, yep. And they and they didn't do it. Yeah. They, I mean, that's the one instance they do. Like the fact that they didn't like. They had employees who were standing outside with signs of being like Dave Chappelle is trying to kill humanity. It's the most right. ridiculous stuff ever. And the irony is like that special was perfect because uh-huh. it was like people are not allowed to right. say my trans and my trans friend committed suicide because of the way she was bullied by you people. Exactly. And and, and then they go immediately after him. It's just like a, a, ref, a like a reflex for these folks at this at this point. And and you know, good of Netflix to join in on the vibe shift and being like, listen. Uh, they said straight up, they said Netflix lets viewers decide what's appropriate for them versus having Netflix censor specific artists or voices. Hell yeah. Yeah, look, I, I don't think it's I, I don't think it's entirely, you know, this is not just out of the goodness of the heart that they've found the center. Uh, they, they've had a huge market change and, and things have been problematic at Netflix in large part because of what they've rewarded yeah. from the woke side. But I will say... There's something about the man. I don't know where it is in the management team. There's something about it that gets the joke. Somebody in there that understands it because ultimately the decision not to cut Dave Chappelle actually, I think, like began the change that we're seeing right now. And, and, and so uh, this is, it's incredible. This is straight from the memo. It says, uh, quote, uh, as employees, we support the principle that Netflix offers a diversity of stories, even if we find some titles counter to our own personal values. Depending on your role, you may need to work on titles you perceive to be harmful. If you'd find it hard to support our content breadth, Netflix may not be the best place for you. Like, <laughs> how has that been so hard it's for so companies easy. to do this for the past Why decade? Why is that hard for any company? Yeah. Right. I don't understand. Like, jobs, good-paying jobs, and we're about to find out in a bad economy. Exactly. Good-paying jobs are tough to come by, Yep. right? You have to appreciate them. You have to work your ass off. Nobody's here to make sure that you have a good life. That has never once been the case in American society, not from the founding, and it's not today. We have may have had a good run over the last six or seven years where there's a generation of people who believe that every single thought that pops into their head is the most important thing in the world, and That's the company it. ought to be responsive to it. But I got a message for you. Go fuck yourself, because the world is not that way. And, and right? just like and, you said, I think economically, like that is going to change. We're headed into a very tough economy. We're, we're I mean, every major bank at this point is predicting we're going to be headed into a recession. And a lot of these folks who are used to this like amazing bull market we've had of where hiring has been plentiful and and they can show up to work and and in the slack be like wow you know the my boss didn't use my correct pronouns today i i say we all try to get everybody fired here that those days are going to be coming to an end from an economic standpoint where where companies can't afford to have people on who think a job is actually a place for their protest right that we're just going to indulge your bullshit all day like everybody has to cater to you and your life and the way you feel about everything at all the times like no you're here to do a fucking job seriously exactly <laughs> exactly that it's just amazing i mean how good is has your entire life had to have been to have that perspective it is it really mm-hmm. is it's 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 only in america w- where people could be this fundamentally bored that they have to do that sort of shit at work <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. Well, well speaking of something that's not boring, have uh, you guys followed the burger toddler? No. What is not. that? This kid's a f- hero. A hero. Uh, a two-year-old Texas boy has 31 cheeseburgers delivered by DoorDash without mother's knowledge. Hell yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
so she says, my son, this is according to uh, WFAA, a local news outlet uh, down there in Texas. Uh, my son was playing with my phone. I thought he was taking pictures, said Kingsville resident Kelsey Burkhalter Golden, after finding out what her son had done. A young boy in Kingsville bit off a little more than he could chew after he ordered 30 cheeseburgers from his local McDonald's. According to Kingsville resident Kelsey Golden, uh, her son Barrett took her phone and placed an order with DoorDash without her knowledge. Okay, Um, before anything, I want to say this is such a sign of the times. I've complained about this so frequently. I I think only privately. I haven't raised this concern on the show. There is a generation of parents out there whose idea of being a parent is you hand your kid the <laughs> iPad. You give them the iPad, my job here is done. All right? And we're starting to Parenting see... Parenting expert and specialist we're, we're, comfortably smug. We're starting to see the ramifications <laughs> of this. Like, I, I, you know, you get on a plane, some kid's losing his mind screaming. What do you see in their hands? The iPad. Because they're raised by the iPad. You don't have parents who say no. You don't have parents who take care of the kid. Who are on top of the kid? The kid learns everything from Disney. Why? I wonder why we have this like army of these like woke kids <laughs> raising hell when they've been now, raised by corporations when they stream this garbage on their iPad because the parent was like, "Wait, I'm a parent. Why should I have to parent? I just <laughs> hand them an iPad. You know, the iPad should do the job." And so this or- is what you get. And honestly, this is the best possible outcome. The kid was like, "You know, I'm just gonna order some cheeseburgers. I'm not gonna watch like Disney or whatever that's gonna turn me into some like." purple-haired revolutionary i just want some cheeseburgers <laughs> ordinarily i would have some pushback for smug because i think his parenting advice is uh, <laughs> next to awful but i will say in this respect the child was two <laughs> well i mean here's the, that's the thing is like it was two like if I don't you're not monitoring your ki- two-year-old I mean, what's the, what's the trajectory on that? Yeah. If my two-year-old had my phone for more than 10 seconds, I would assume that he was, like, launching nuclear strikes. <laughs> <laughs> you never allow a two-year-old to have your phone, right? I mean, that's just, like, A1A of parenting. And but, it's not necessarily their development you're concerned about. Well, here's my question. How old were you guys when you got your first phone? Um, <laughs> you don't want to know that. Yeah, is, yeah I, I want to hear uh, it. Uh, everyone here is going to sound super geriatric, but I want to hear it. When did I, I mean, get a phone? It was it was probably late nineties. Yeah, oh, you just you're going with dates. Wow. Going with dates. Going he's with, going with the date of the phone. He's, going, he's not even <laughs> say how old he is. <laughs> probably late nineties. I was uh, I think I was like eighth grade. Eighth grade? Yeah. Okay. So Freshman year, maybe. Because I saw an article that said that now kids are starting. To, the average age is like end or, or end of uh, elementary school, start of middle school. They start giving them a phone. Yeah. How the hell are you? Like, th- there we go. Look, it's a Look very, it's a very, very tricky subject, and uh, a lot of kids have phones in schools. But schools are actually getting a little bit smarter about how to manage kids with phones. Uh, at, at our school, the kids have to leave them in their locker. Not I don't allowed, trust. Not the, allowed to take I don't trust schools class. to manage anything. Well, <laughs> <laughs> smug. There's often a, there's often a disconnect between your utopian vision of how the world should work and how it the actually part, does. The best part is if you ever left your kids with smug for like five minutes, they'd be sitting there watching his iPad. Maybe right. on like I, yeah, immediately. I, I said, I said the key to parenting is to get a nanny. <laughs> Oh, well, I, I got to say this, the, this DoorDash situation, the first thing that popped into my head was this sounds like a commercial for how easy the app is to use. Right? That's right. Very I mean, easy. Just a, just a press of the button. And Literally, all of a even a two-year-old can do it. We really yeah. are living in the age of the Jetsons. 
Super easy. He also left a very generous $16 tip. Good for the kid. Kids raised right. Good for the kid. Yeah, a thoughtful, courteous gentleman. So the last thing I I think we we should get into, and this is something I touched on, but it it, it bears us having like a full segment. I think uh, the whole threats that the Supreme Court justices have been getting, and and how the Department of Homeland Security is, I mean, absolutely dropping the ball on this. So I mean, they sent out a, a, a uh, th- this memo, um, and it was covered by uh, Mary Margaret Olihan that says pro-abortion extremists are threatening to burn down or storm the Supreme Court and murder justices and their clerks. But this, quote, generalized philosophic embrace of violent tactics does not constitute domestic violent extremism or illegal activity. So basically, the left is allowed to threaten the lives of Supreme Court justices and show up outside their houses. Wait, and that's not I, extremism. I, 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 you know what? I com- I completely blew past that line. Yeah. I had no idea that they had they they that's literally from DHS wrote does not constitute domestic violent extremism. That's They're right. threatening to burn the place down. That's right. That's right. That doesn't. That's not extremism. No, but complaining about your school does. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like oh Merrick Garland is going to send the FBI if you show up to a school board meeting. But hey, listen, if you're just threatening to take people's lives and burn down the Supreme Court. That really doesn't constitute domestic terrorism, folks. <laughs> Dude, it's just so it's just so bad. I mean, it was one of the it, one of the things, and I, I put this on Twitter yesterday. I, the things that, that is so disappointing, and this administration just exacerbates all of this shit, is th- the view that like tragedies are only important if they fit your political ideology, hundred yeah, percent, or like you know, in this case, violence is only violence if it fits against your political ideology like how fucked up of a society do you have to live in where your view of actual violence Mm -hmm. actual tragedy is entirely shaped by your politics right yeah i mean who are you it's a sickness it's a sickness sickness. and and also i mean you bring that up that's kind of like an irony of the situation where you have for so long the left has said that like words are violence you know like right and, and and here you have an instance where it's like, no, that's that's totally okay. It's very your, your words. Right. Your words are violence. My violence is protest. Yeah, that's how these that's leftists think. Bingo, that's it. That's, that's it. Perfectly right there. But it, but it becomes it becomes government action, right? I mean, you had you had look Biden up in Buffalo, which he should be. That was an absolutely abhorrent situation. Completely ridiculous that this insane person went to a supermarket and killed. 10 people plus. Um, and then you had letters going from Chuck Schumer to Fox News. Right, <laughs> right, right. And like, it, that's, the, there's a huge difference there, right? Right. And and what did you see after like the Waukesha parade? Oh, nothing. nothing. Oh, Biden couldn't go. He couldn't go there because the logistically, you know, it takes a lot to move a president around the country. So he can't go to Waukesha because it was a black nationalist who ran over a bunch of grandmas in Waukesha. And the subway shooting in New York, also black nationalist. But and also that shooting, the guy shooting from his window in D.C. had paraphernalia all over his place right. for black nationalist causes. Well, but he'll go, disappear to, from he'll go to the Buffalo quick. thing and he'll say white supremacy 15 times. And then the entire media will chase down Republicans to talk about replacement theory. 
What yeah, the like, fuck what is the that? Fuck is that right? You're gonna chase down the the Senate uh, Republican I, leader and ask him about that? Like he knows what the fuck you're talking about? You know, I, like just just be clowning themselves. I thought Josh Hawley had a pretty good answer to that question. Did you guys see this? It was no. it was out on Twitter. Somebody somebody was chasing him down in the hallway, and they're like, Senator, 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 where do you stand on? Do you are you against replacement theory? And he was just like, uh, Sure, yeah, I guess, yeah. What what is it? and 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 that's exactly it like you were saying how the media jumps aboard this so axios who who is reporting this they rush to defend these violent extremists as the big picture law enforcement agencies are investigating social media threats to burn down or storm the supreme court building i mean straight up and murder justices and their clerks as well as attacks targeting places of worship and abortion clinics and they've already shown up at at, at uh, churches, they, the, these these left wing. Yeah, I've seen it. Uh, it we says, saw a video of it. It says details. The unclassified May 13 memo by DHS's intelligence arm says threats that followed the leak of a draft opinion targeting Supreme Court justices, lawmakers, and other public officials, as well as clergy and healthcare providers, quote, are likely to persist and may increase leading up to and following the issuing of the court's official ruling. It says here's the context. Here's where the journals really got <laughs> this into is it. Incredible. Like, so here's the story. It says. Abortion-related violence historically has been driven by anti-abortion oh. extremists. Unbelievable. It says some racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists embrace of pro-life narratives may be linked to the perception of wanting to, quote, save white children and, quote, Get the fight fuck white genocide. The, the memo also says... So here's the thing. Think how like, fucking offensive it, that is. When Margaret Sanger starts this whole thing... Right, as, as a eugenics project as a eugenics to kill process. black kids. Yeah. yeah. It's that's what abortion style. I hope everybody who's pro-choice who listens to this knows that's that's where where this whole movement comes from. The pro-choice movement, eugenics. And, and oh my god, that just it's so infuriating. I can't even begin. This line right here that that says the mere advocacy of political or social positions, political activism, use of strong rhetoric, or generalized philosophic embrace of violent tactics does not constitute domestic violence extremism <laughs> or illegal activity and is constitutionally protected. Have we heard any of that over the past few years from them? Wow. Uh, interesting. This is just a pro-insurrection move. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing that in the course of 18 months, you can get from anti to pro-insurrection. Yeah. It's just with one decision that hasn't actually been rendered, by the way. That's right. But also, if you were concerned about the mental health of the American left in this post-COVID world, Imagine for a moment that a decision about the issue of abortion has been remanded to your state uh, with a vast majority of them have it legal. And that constitutes a revolutionary war. I mean, yeah. That's the thing. I think it goes it goes back to what you were saying. Um, Smug, Josh, both of you guys were saying this, that people cannot fathom a world where their sensibilities are offended in any way shape or form they just they can't they cannot they cannot get their head around some sort of a a, a slight change here or there and like you said what, what this is what this is is remanding the the decision on legality back to the states <laughs> it's just it is a sickness man and we're we're just living through a weird weird time i hope i hope for in the safety and security of the American people that we don't go through a significant economic downturn. I, I feel fear that we may, but if we do, there's a lot of these people are going to wake up with some very different perspective. Well, and on that bright note, <laughs> <laughs> 
why don't we just get to our interview? Yeah, let's do it. This is Daryl Issa. I want to welcome to the program a really interesting guy. I know you've heard of him before. He's been fighting the conservative cause for a long time now. Congressman Daryl Issa of California. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. It's, uh, uh, it's good to be seen by you and heard by your viewers. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, th- when I think of you, your name is like sort of inextricably tied to government oversight for me. Uh, you spent so many years leading that panel and basically uncovering every terrible thing that Democrats were up to within the bowels of the bureaucracies, wherever they may be. You were so good at it. I mean, that, that's the only thing I can think of when I see you. Well, but fighting the bureaucracy is the most important part of the job. You know, our founding fathers, uh, yeah, they, they allocated a certain amount of money to the president uh, to execute faithfully the Constitution, uh, but they also created each and every one of these bureaucrats, authorized them uh, with the help of the Senate, uh, confirmed all these people. And, you know, and you look and go, you know, with four or five trillion dollars uh, directly at stake and a 24 trillion dollar economy at stake, just maybe finding out why less than one out of four FDA people are currently at work. Uh, but you, you can't you can't fix the problem of, of formula being available right. uh, months after they shut it down. You go, well, wait a second, just maybe the executive branch does need a little help. And, and I think that's where the legitimate role of, uh, of oversight is underdone, yeah. underdone. Neither Republican nor Democrats have ever done enough genuine oversight of the bureaucracy. Uh, and if I had my way, we would dramatically increase that. Candidly, probably reduce a lot of the other stuff we do, but uh, uh, watching out not just for, for the money that's spent, but for the, the real rights of people that get fringed yeah. uh, on, I remember Lois Lerner. And, uh, oh, man, that was the one. I mean, I, that was the one I was so tuned into. Maybe those are the years that make the lasting imprint on me. But that was one of the most egregious things I've ever seen. Well, and she'd been a bad actor for, for decades and gotten away. Yeah. Uh, if you ever want to have some fun, you go back to the 1990s and find her as the deputy Federal Election Commission uh, lawyer. And she's sitting there as they're explaining why it was okay to prosecute the Republicans in Florida for taking money from a foreigner, but not the Democrats for taking money from the same formula or foreigner. They literally, they literally could look at you in a straight face and say, well, we only have limited resources to execute our obligation. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, so now as you look out at the landscape, obviously, look, we're in the midst of election season. It started as we saw... Tuesday night, a lot of excitement out there. Republicans are turning out in droves. And I think the likely and uh, too close to call. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, this, this is this is what, what it's all about. But the most important part is Republicans are basically in record turnout everywhere we've had a contest, which tells me the likelihood of, of you all finding yourselves in the majority is pretty high. If, if that is the case, just I know you're not totally responsible for all of this anymore, but if you're sort of looking out at the landscape and, and trying to see what you think are the top oversight priorities in the Biden administration, what would they be? Well, the, the, for our branch of government, uh, to be honest, we've got to sweep the floor from the trillions of dollars of, of special money that was given out over the last couple of years. Yeah, these are the COVID funds you're talking about. Oh, well, COVID and indirect 
uh, you know, I, you know, I, I'd love to look at just COVID, but if you're the financial services committee uh, and you had until four weeks ago, the federal reserve buying uh, a mortgage backed securities in order to stimulate the economy, well, we got to an 8% inflation. And then they say they're going to fight, fight inflation or running up the balance sheet of the fed, which is about $60 billion of net worth, but their balance sheet is $9 trillion. Name yeah. a bank can do that kind of leverage. So there's plenty of places for each committee. So the answer, as I see it, is every single committee of the Congress needs to have a significant subcommittee whose job it is to do oversight. There's a specific committee, the Oversight Committee in the House, uh, that could help coordinate, but it has to coordinate with every single committee, ways and means on taxes, including income tax, uh, obviously uh, the doling out of, of aid that's going on today. You know, it's easier to get uh, a baby formula at the Mexican border if you come over illegally than it is to get it at Walmart in Detroit. That's nuts. Absolutely crazy. Well, <clears throat> so one of the things I'm told that you have some expertise on, Mr. Issa, is the Hunter Biden laptop, which is, as you might imagine, of keen interest to our listeners for a variety of reasons. It all started, obviously, with the, uh, the news that it exi existed, and it was summarily banned of conversation by social media and everywhere else. And then now we've kind of gotten a look under the hood. But uh, my understanding is you, you, you know more than most of us about this thing. Well, uh, I know more than I want to know. There are there are pictures there that I will never get my, uh, <laughs> my virginity back. <laughs> you can't unsee you can't unsee that stuff. This is a deeply disturbed drug addict, uh, and separately a rather perverse uh, sense of of sex, apparently. Uh, <laughs> And all of that is on there. So in addition to the hundreds of thousands of dollars of deals going between people, the millions of dollars of revenue coming in, uh, his shock that he had made millions of dollars from his own tax people, the $5 million that apparently he hid from the IRS and they're now negotiating instead of prosecuting him, some sort of a, a bargain to let him off the hook. In addition to all of that that's in there, uh, yes, He's got an awful lot of pornography. <laughs> he's got a lot of. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's got a lot of pictures. He's got a lot of pictures with women who clearly didn't know they were being photographed or videoed. Oh. Uh, there's a lot of that. Here's what makes it important. It's not what's there. I'm a libertarian. I'm what somebody does is their own business. But this guy was committing crimes. He was taking pictures of his cocaine stashes. He was he has FBI uh, phone numbers of lots of high ranking people he was having correspondence with. Well, at the same time, he's cutting deals with foreign governments and lobbying his own father uh, in violation of the law. And you know what? The FBI and the Secret Service had to know it. So law enforcement at the highest level knew what he was doing and was actually covering up for him, allowing him to get away with things. You know, this term that no one is above the law, no one is above the law if the attorney general and the agencies that work for the attorney general refuse to enforce the law. That's where we are right now. They knew it. The FBI had this laptop and actually was part of the cover-up because when uh, the New York Post reported it and it got shut down, 
the FBI knew uh, this was real and they'd had it for two years. So That's so wild to me because then also immediately afterward, you had this letter come out from all these quote unquote Intel experts, right? And it was n- all the names that we've recognized over the last few years that the Russiagate and everything else also saying that it, it has the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. And what you're saying here is that the Intel agencies themselves likely knew that that was not the case. Absolutely. People knew. Uh, and the ones who said it, you know, one of the things that happens if if you were to quote me or you were to introduce you, me, you'd say Congressman Daryl Issa, Republican of California. Uh, if you talk about Joe Scarborough, even though it no longer applies, you still say, you know, former Republican congressman from Florida. For some reason, these left-wing Democrats who served in these administrations and were beholding mostly to Obama, somehow they get a pass from being called anything other than, quote, experts as their signatures were gathered. Uh, And they're not accountable for the fact they were wrong. But let's remember, we're now seeing, in real time, we're seeing that the FBI took about one day to, in the Durham case, now the prosecution is actually in court. The FBI knew within about one day that, you know, Hillary Clinton's attorney lied, yeah. presented something that was false. They knew within a matter of a few months that, in fact, he, he had actually charged them for the service of going in and saying, I'm just here as a concerned citizen to, uh, uh, to report this. His only concern was that it be billable. And And it it took until Durham sort of presented all these facts in concert before anybody wanted to do anything about it. Right. Meantime, uh, you know, look, President Donald J. Trump is not a sympathetic character. He never will be. You know, he was born with a silver spoon. He's got an ego bigger than the state of Wyoming, much bigger. But I wonder how I pick Wyoming. Yeah, (laughs) The fact is, leave the sympathy aside. They falsely accused this man and his campaign and then hounded him for his entire presidency and somehow are still doing it with impunity. You know, the interesting thing is that I guess the trial began five years to the day from the point of that uh, false statement. When did we ever lose track of justice delayed as justice denied? Mm-hmm. President Trump deserved to be fairly vindicated in weeks or months not in half a decade. No, totally right. And, and, and sort of scuttled much of his agenda because he had to spend so much of his political capital fighting something that frankly didn't exist. Let me tell you something worse. And, and this, you know, I've, I've gotten to know President Trump over the years pretty well. The effect on somebody's psyche, the, the idea that people are against you, that there's a conspiracy, that people within the government will lie, cheat and steal, that, that nothing is beyond them, including stealing an election. That idea didn't happen in one day. And President Trump didn't come into, into government service with that attitude. That occurred over years, years of, of false information. And that, quite frankly, has more to do with how Donald Trump today tends to feel like everyone's out to get him on the other side and they'll lie, cheat, steal. Because they will. Yeah. Yeah. It's one thing to be paranoid, but it's another to have it actually happen. Right. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And with the benefit of, of hindsight, you can see exactly how it is that he's, he handled much of what he handled 
which looked defensive because, frankly, he was put in that situation. Well, let's, think about, let's think about this. And, and this is one that, that I, I take both pride and uh, a little bit of grumbling about. You know, when, uh, when initially they made this accusation that there was uh, legitimacy to uh, this accusation about some form of backdoor with Russia, and there needed to be an investigation. And as we both all know, Attorney General Sessions had been on the campaign and there was some question about whether he was forthcoming in all his meetings with Russians. And I was asked on none other than Bill Maher, you know, whether he should recuse himself. And knowing that the appearance of a conflict is enough to recuse yourself, I said, sure, he should appoint a, an independent prosecutor to investigate it. And he should recuse himself and allow someone to oversee that so there wouldn't be the appearance. Bill Maher was thrilled. But, you know, if the honest truth had come out in a short period of time, that would have all gone away. There wouldn't even be uh, that investigation or now this follow on investigation. The reason these investigations go on five years later is because they're the legitimate. The people who knew it was a lie didn't come forward in the days that they should have. Yeah. And that question never would have been asked. As a matter of fact, Bill Maher would have had laughables about the, the Russian uh, deal, like, oh yeah, their collusion. Trump managed to get Hillary Clinton's lawyer to do his dirty work by going to the Russians. Right. Oh, that, that's gotta be perfect. You know, Trump doesn't even pay for his own lawyer. He gets it from Hillary Clinton. Now that's bipartisan. You could hear the humor if the truth had been known, but it wasn't. No, no, it was deliberately hidden. You're absolutely right. I got to ask you a process question, right? So sure. Let's go back to the to the Hunter laptop. I'll switch right? to coffee from my Coke Zero. I just want you to know that I caffeinated up for this. You were well caffeinated for the variety program. Well, you know, I mean, like we do a lot of recording after 5 p.m. too, so you can draw your own conclusions about that. But um, so I here's the here's my question. So when when staff, do you have staff go through the Hunter Biden laptop first? I had. Uh, I had one person make sure that we had a full and complete and uh, and found some hidden files. And I have a cyber guy who, who helped with that. Uh, it took a couple of go rounds because this had been pulled off a of Mac and had been pulled off a of Mac, including all of those system files that are yeah. part of it. So I had some help there. After that, I have to be honest, it, it didn't take long to just go by category, uh, you know, Picture I'm, trying, here's I'm uh, trying to get at the poor staff member who needs to come in and say, uh, Congress, oh, no, no. I'm sorry, but you're going to have to take a look at this file. <laughs> well, in fairness, the first staff member said, you don't want to see it. Okay. The second staff member said, I'll never get it out of my brain. <laughs> at which point you're like, okay, hand it over. <laughs> now we at, at which which point they showed me the more benign stuff. And uh, I have to be honest, there are some things I haven't seen because I've been warned that I'm too young. <laughs> I mean, you just can't make it up. You can't make it up. This, this uh, business is stranger, stranger than fiction. You can't, you. Make up, you can't make up that the uh, text, for example, from the then vice president of the United States saying, Hunter, where are you? Why aren't you answering? We talk every day. Where are you? That's because mm -hmm. drugged out. He was strung out and he wasn't responding. Uh, 
He's probably that, concerned. That was going on at a time in which the vice president was one of the most powerful people in the world. He was handling both Ukraine and China on behalf of President Obama. He, in fact, now was a deeply concerned father on his drug addict son. And you want to talk about vulnerability? There was vulnerability there. And so a lot of that is where the Secret Service and the FBI and the Department of Justice, they didn't meet their requirement to deal with this. And as a result, the vice president was in a very compromised position. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's the big that's the big news out of that. You know, everybody yeah. sort of blows through it. But, but that's it. When you have the second in command that's basically totally compromised, it is it is a very, very tough look for the United States. Exactly. And look, for those who uh, are junkies on politics and they watch the green chairs of Britain, where the uh, loyal opposition has a, a whack at the prime minister every week and ask them these questions and the prime minister must answer. And it's quite good theater, but it also is there for a reason. It's not that I'm a partisan and I want to go after this particular president. It's that inherently the loyal opposition is best positioned to look for those mistakes and help point them out. The, the majority needs to participate in helping fix the problems, uh, even if they weren't as motivated. And that's what I've learned under both Republican and Democratic presidents, Republican and Democrat Congresses, is it's it's my job to be the watchdog, but it's majority's job to be sensitive to fixing problems. Right now, the majority is ignoring uh, a president who has all of this and no answers, yeah. including where's Hunter Biden? And, you know, don't you have anything to answer for, including what's going on? Who's handling the IRS uh, dealing with somebody who lied about and hid $5 million or more of income that's normally the kind of crime that you, you find you get in that cell that still has the, uh, the carvings uh, uh, from Al Capone there. You know, <laughs> I know five million isn't a lot of money to you, but to some of us, that's real. <laughs> Look at you coming at me with that. <laughs> hey, I'm not the one wearing a designer T-shirt. You are. <laughs> that's good. I'll, you know what? I can take some of that. that that's, that's good for me. Um, so here, here's my last question on this, on the whole Hunter piece. Do you feel like they've adequately answered or answered at all allegations about whether or not in a post-presidents, vice presidency situation that they were in fact in business together? That's that there was a business component to Joe Biden and Hunter Biden's relationship. You know, we've found a clear business connection. You can't put your son on Air Force Two and take him in to a country where you and he are both having meetings for you for the government, him for his financial benefit. You can't call that anything other than a business deal. Now, whether the silent partner ever got any money back, we may never know. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for a father to want to have his thrown out of the academy, you know, lost his commission, drug uh, uh, difficult child to have him have enough money to be quote, uh, happy and stable. That's a partnership. So, you know, I'm not looking for the partnership at this moment of, of how much money went between them. Uh, yes, that'd be a crime, 
But you know, it's a crime to put your son onto an airplane and help him get millions of dollars on behalf of the American you know, people's best interests. It's a crime, even if you didn't get any money, to basically get the prosecutor going after the part business partners of your son gotten rid of and using half a billion dollars of aid as an excuse uh, if you don't get the you don't get the aid unless you you know get rid of this prosecutor. So we certainly have, you know, we don't just have the uh, the smoking gun. We've got the bullets. We've got the cartridges. You know, yes, some people are going to look for the dollar transfers. Um, I've learned, you know, sometimes you don't need to have that. Uh, you know, I always say that, you know, when they said, well, why are you investigating Benghazi? It's like, well, because we know people are dead. Yeah, right. Sometimes that's enough to, to not worry about all the other details. You go in there and say, how do we keep this from happening in the future? Yeah, no, 100 percent. That's a that's a perfect bow to that. Listen, I, I got to get to three questions and let you get on your with your day. But these these things are are pretty serious, Mr. Isa. These are not things that we just throw away. These are these are how we judge your character. Uh, and so the first question is, if you can plan your last meal on earth, what would it be? Well, it would have to be some really good Wagyu steak, you know, probably since I'm not worried about my diet, right. You know, it's a couple of pounds at, you know, <laughs> 80 bucks an ounce. So you know, I'm feels right about my savings. Um, you know, a little bit of caviar on the side. I knew you were going to go. Ca- I almost previewed this by saying, where do we put the caviar? Okay, but understand, that. there are some, there are some truffles that, that, you know, they raise the pigs for years and they only get them every few years. So there are some truffles that can make that steak beyond compare. So I'm going to go for those. And then, because I thought you might ask this, okay, the 1947 French wine, the uh, Cheval Bois. Okay. It's, it's $160,000 a bottle. There aren't too many bottles, but I only need one. Yeah, at this point, you only need one. You only need one. So, you know, uh, and then by the way, if I were on death row, I definitely would make that request. And, and <laughs> you know what? They don't have to execute me until they find these things. <laughs> Your over the oversight bill on that one would be pretty high. <laughs> you know, you, you only live once. I feel like you put your finger on a very important part that has eluded most of our guests, which everybody thinks about, you know, what actually like, what do you like to taste and, you know, what would it be? Per- but you have, you have taken this a step farther. You've, yes, that's part of it. What's the biggest bill I can rack up on my final day? <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, they actually had a series, a show where they gave mostly women, but it, I think it might even be in co-ed sometimes they gave them a shopping cart and so many minutes to run around. And the winner was the one that had the most dollars at checkout in the cart. I remember the show. you got to yeah. think about density and how many pieces and where they are. Was it supermarket sweep or something like that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, the fact is, uh, this afternoon, okay, Robert Mondavi has a deal with Rothschilds. This is much less expensive. And it'll give you the same hangover. But remember, I wasn't planning on a hangover afterwards, regardless. 
<laughs> no, you're not because you're gone. It's perfect. That is an excellent answer. Okay. So this next one, I'm really interested uh, for you. If you never got into public service at all, right? No politics, nothing, no elected service. You have this great big wide hole in your life and you can fill it with any blue sky thing that you come up with. What would it be? Well, based on when I came into government, assuming that what I'd done up until then, I did. But assuming that I sold my company, came, instead of coming to government, what was I going to do? There's no question at all. The, the companies that were being begun, the entrepreneurs, the people I like and respect, including Elon Musk, that were just getting going in 2000 um, as the check wreck hit, I've got to tell you, I'd have been deeply involved, you know, and uh, the people I like, uh, who I respect, there were so many of them, I would just be happily, not necessarily, I'd be the, the conservative in Silicon Valley, because yeah. there were there so many opportunities to increase the quality of life, to manufacture things that made the world safer. Um, and so, you know, whether it's a, a rocket that costs a quarter as much and means space travel is now available to everyone, uh, a financial trading system that is more efficient and more uh, convenient, uh, or quite frankly, the kind of freedom to express yourself uh, on a global basis without fear of, uh, of being uh, censored by, by somebody uh, in a room that you don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd love to be involved in each one of those. Um, and I will tell you one of the other ones that people miss, I would love to have been part of the renaissance of fuel in this country, oil and natural gas. Oh, yeah. those, those industries re, recreating, especially natural gas, where we're, we're getting rid of coal. I hate the term clean coal, to be honest. I grew up in Cleveland. It, won't cl it wasn't clean. <laughs> the, the fact is natural gas, fabulous, and we now have an abundance of it. These have all been exciting things that have gone on while I've been in government trying to keep government from standing in the way of these kinds of progress. So, you know, I've, I've been the guy sticking it to the man, but I've also been the man. If yeah. I were out in business, I'd be trying to stop the government. Well, in fact, you know, having them try to stop me because they always seem to hit the nail that it stands up and the nail that stands up as, as Steve Jobs would uh, said so well, you know, he, uh, he said, these are the crazy ones, the crazy yeah. ones that change the world. Yeah, no, I mean, no, no question about it. And what's so fascinating is you may have been the only conservative when you got there, if that was your different path in life. But all those folks around that 2000 mark, all of a sudden, they're starting to look at things a little differently, right? I mean, we had David Sachs on the program last week. Boy, he sounds pretty Republican to me. Uh, and then and we had, uh, or we haven't had Elon, but we've talked a lot about him. Boy, it sounds like he's going to vote Republican for the first time. You never know, right? These things can yeah, change. You know what? You should you should ask Brad Smith over at Microsoft. Uh, good guy, thoughtful, brilliant attorney. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of people that aren't uh, Disney executives. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> that is a very good point. All right, so here's your third question, and. This is our esoteric piece. We think that everybody's motivated by one of two things. It's either the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. Thrill of victory people are always the sunny optimist sort of charging up the hill, trying to get the next accomplishment. 
the agony of defeat person is every accomplishment they've ever had in life. It lasts like five seconds, every defeat they've ever had. It, it, they carry with them for a lifetime and they work harder to try to vow to never have it happen to them again. They don't want the embarrassment. It's like the Michael Jordan type figure, right? I don't know if you've watched that mini series, but that's, yeah. that's like a perfect example of an agony of defeat guy. Where do you find yourself? You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a thrill of victory guy, but let me explain <clears throat> every time I've had the agony of defeat, including the one election I lost in 1998 for the U S Senate, the primary, Okay, I've won 20 since then. <laughs> you, you, you enjoy your victories and you learn from your defeats. So if you ask, what do I learn from? The answer is my mistakes, my defeats, the things I've done wrong. Uh, what, what do I enjoy? I thoroughly enjoy every day looking at how blessed I am that time and time again, serendipity, fate, a little bit of extra hard work, have allowed me to get things done, things that I'm happy and proud about. Uh, you know, uh, now there are some times you just look and say, I'd forgotten about that, and I'll give you that one. Uh, you know, I'm waiting to be confirmed in the Trump administration. <laughs> and Bob Menendez, Senator Menendez, as the, 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 the guardian at the gate to keep corrupt people from getting into government, decides that I'm not qualified because when I was 18, I had an ID card in the army that said I was 21. And then, oh, and then, if, if ever you have one of those, you're, you're surely not qualified. <laughs> Makes practically all of our audience, by the way. <laughs> but but that, did, that, did, that did make it clear that I violated a law. Do you know it? That's falsifying a government document if you've got an <laughs> ID that says you're a different age. So, the old fake ID. You don't even know about the lesson. I would have learned a lot more from that lesson if I'd known that 40 years later it was going to be used against me. But now I know. And so I'm very careful in filling out any form to make sure I get that, that oh age my just God. right. Imagine with a straight face trying to tell a guy of your caliber you're not qualified because you tried to get into a bar when you were 19 years old. I mean, that's just incredible. Well, the worst part is I, I got into the bar before they discovered it. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, well, that's when you're stuck. <laughs> Listen, this has been a blast. Stay in touch. Congressman Daryl Issa, thanks for all that you do and continue to do. And keep us updated whenever there's anything that's uh, interesting that you're working on. We'd love to hear about it. Okay, well, I thank you. And even though your listeners can't get it, the Ronald Reagan original behind you thank me, me thanks you. It's an original. You know what? We may post that. We, we might post that. That's that's a good look. I love that. All right. Daryl Issa, thanks so much. Thank you. So I love, here's my favorite part of the interview. First of all, he, he detailing, uh, this is the one guy that I know has seen every single aspect of the Hunter Biden laptop is amazing. Yeah. Right. Amazing. And he's seen unspeakable things, which, you know, <laughs> Like he doesn't want to go into a ton of detail, but I love it. He described a little bit of the process by which he gets to his desk. But the thing that, that, that I thought was the funniest was him. He's got to be one of the wealthiest guys in all of, of Congress, incredibly successful businessman, uh, uh, taking shots at me for being an elitist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good Amazing. stuff. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I listen, I love that interview. Uh, we were supposed to do a ride along. He had votes. I had COVID. It didn't work out. 
but we'll get them back sometime. It'll be it'll be great. Yeah, that'll be fantastic. Absolutely. And if I gotta say, folks, that was another banger of an episode. Uh, thanks, Josh, for 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 phoning in, even though you have COVID. Feel better, amigo. Uh, and thank you so much to the minions. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the lids. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.